Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 130 of this show. We should be proudly a part of the Pats and Pulpit Podcast Network is brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Happy to be back in the big chair for today, Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. And believe it or not, we are now one week, one week away from the start of the 2020 NFL season. This has been, without a doubt, the longest, the strangest, the most surreal offseason I can remember. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Also today, we're going to talk about breakout candidates for the 2020 NFL season, as well as my thoughts on sort of an all-rookie team. Guys, and I'm expecting to play big roles for their teams in the year ahead. We're going to stick to the offensive side of the ball because that's what I like to talk about. If you want to see breakout candidates and defensive rookies, you can check out Doug Farrar's work over at Stonewire. You know where to find the work, though. I shouldn't have to remind you by now, but I will anyway because it's part of the routine. It's part of the script. It's part of the game plan. The scripted 15 I go into each game with or each show with. Follow along the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Check out the workplaces like Matt Waldman's Rookie Scout and Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites. Big Blue View. Bleeding Green Nation. And of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. And yes, Touchdown Wire. Myself, Doug Ferrar, and a cavalcade of others getting you ready for the 2020 NFL season and beyond. Also, if you would like to be part of the Scotio Slack channel. You should reach out. Send me an email at mark.schofield at inside the pylon or mark or at Mark Schofield on the old bird app for an invite. Now before we get to what this offseason has been, before we get to the breakout candidates and the offensive rookies and things like that, I do want to just chime in quickly on Leonard Fournette. Because, as you are aware by now, the Jacksonville Jaguars moved on from Leonard Fournette. Releasing the running back. And somewhat of a surprise move. After all, this is a team that doesn't really have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the football. LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark, Gunnar Minshew aside. And rather than sort of make a run at it with Leonard Fournette, they decided to move on. Now, every time a veteran is released, or frankly, any player gets released, people immediately begin to connect them to the New England Patriots. And we've seen reporting, and we saw reported deep into Wednesday afternoon, Jeff Howell from The Athletic, that the Patriots are indeed interested in Leonard Fournette. And I think the only way to sort of frame how I'd feel about this move is by saying this. It's, it's going to be a, a no for me, dog. And this has nothing to do really with Leonard Fournette in any sort of, you know, off-field issues or anything like that. I really don't think there's anything there to begin with. This is more of a scheme fit decline for me. Leonard Fournette is a 
throwback to, I think, a different era of football. Okay? I think my colleague Doug Farrar over at Touchdown Wire sort of summed Fournette up best on Twitter when the decision was announced. He basically described Fournette as the kind of running back that if you need a yard and a half, he can get you three. If you need five and a half yards, he can get you three. Like he can get you what's blocked up, but he's not somebody that's really going to create on his own. And diving into it a bit more. Fournette never really lived up to the power back that can create type of bill and he had when the Jaguars made him the fourth overall pick. Among running backs with at least 300 total attempts from the past three seasons, Fournette ranks fifth with 666 attempts, seventh with 2,631 yards, tied for 10th with 17 rushing touchdowns, and 33rd with just 3.95 yards per attempt. Per chart and data from PFF, he ranked 5th in the NFL last year with 886 yards after contact. But that's just 3.3 yards per carry after contact, which was 11th in the league. Not great for a power back who's supposed to create for you. His 42 missed tackles on those rushing attempts, far below the league lead in 69 put up by Josh Jacobs. He's not a factor in the passing game. He's not a top flight blocker. He's Fournette's an Otis Anderson running back in a Miles Sanders world. And where does he fit in in the New England offense generally if they're going to move to, you know, more of this spread outside zone game? And where does he fit in in that running back room unless they do move on from a Sony Michelle or a Lamar Miller? I just don't see the need for a player of that role. Now, by the time this airs, they'll probably have signed him. In which case, just let this be my objection for the record to add in him. I don't see what he brings. Like, what does he bring you that you don't already have in Miller or even, yes, Sony Michelle? If you're thinking we need somebody that can be a gap power type guy... You have that already. So I, I don't understand it. I, I, I'm more of the mind of Evan Lazar, who tweeted out earlier on Wednesday that they're just basically doing due diligence on him, that they're kicking the tires on him to know that, okay, this is what you know the Dolphins might have to sign him for, and this is what we might see from him in week one if somehow Miami signs him. But again, it's a no for me, dog. Now, I had visions of, in transitioning to this offseason and just sort of summing up everything, doing sort of a Billy Joel, we didn't start the fire cover, but nobody wants to hear me sing. This is something I learned a long time ago when my good buddy Chuck Zotta, congrats on the little one, Chuck. Hope all are well. But when Chuck and I did a little cover of Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith, per listener requests, those were the days of the quick kick spot. Nobody wants to hear me sing. But I do think we should take a moment and remember just 
everything that has happened this offseason. Patriots get bounced on wild card weekend, and it touches off speculation that Tom Brady may have played his last game in a New England uniform. Speculation that I myself contributed to on that Sunday after the loss when I went on air in San Francisco and said a team to watch out for in terms of Tom Brady's 2020 season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But let's not forget everything else that happened. Brady was just one of a handful of veteran quarterbacks changing teams. Phillip Rivers, now in Indianapolis. Jameis Winston, now in New Orleans. The NFL landscape at the quarterback position looks vastly different. Rivers, Brady, Breeze, Roethlisberger, all perhaps on the 18th hole of their respective careers, while Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, a new era of quarterback is being ushered in with athletic players, most of them, not all, but most of them, with that baseball background, which might be the key to success as a quarterback in the modern NFL. We're seeing a football landscape that is now marked by athleticism and versatility on both sides of the football. Case in point, Isaiah Simmons, a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, a player without a position that used to be a black mark, a check mark, a strike against you, a red flag, if it were. But now, now having that versatility might be what is necessary to play on the defensive side of the ball. If offenses are all about matchups and exploiting them, you need guys that can respond on the fly. A guy that can cover a tight end on first down, rush the passer on second, and play a deep half safety on third. So versatility now a hallmark of the new NFL. The game is changing. And unfortunately, what made this the strangest offseason of recent history is the world we're living in. It's a different world. It's a world marked by a virus that we are living through. It robbed us of preseason games and training camps and mini camps and OTAs and some college football seasons and some players. Dante Hightower, Patrick Chun, just two of many Patriots who have decided not to play in the season ahead because of concerns over COVID-19. It has been a strange journey to this point. And in the back of my mind, and I think everybody's mind, those of us who either cover this game or are just fans of the game, or in most cases, people who are both, there's that what if in the back of our minds. That what if of what happens if we wake up two Sundays from now to news that a handful of Patriots players or a handful of Ravens players or Chiefs players or insert any team here have tested positive for COVID-19. We all love football. If you're listening to this show, you love the sport. We all want to see a full season. And as we keep those fingers crossed, we can't help but look at Tuscaloosa and see the numbers on campus at Alabama. We hope that that doesn't spread. We hope that it doesn't spread to the National Football League. And we keep those fingers crossed. But this, is, has, this has been a very weird offseason. It feels good to know that after this show, we've got a game to talk about. We've got the Dolphins to talk about. And we do have a bit of news just in the past few minutes. The New England Patriots have made a move at the wide receiver position. Mohamed Sanu 
released from the New England Patriots and perhaps a bit of a surprise. The Patriots decided to release the veteran wide receiver that was first reported by Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. This means that the Patriots gave up a second-round pick for Muhammad Sanu, got less than a year from him and moved on from him after he was reportedly healthy, recovering from the high ankle sprain that hampered him last year. A lot of people have sort of questioned the Patriots' moves at the wide receiver position, and this one seems to be now a bit of a loss. It does clear $6.5 million in cap space for the Patriots, but as Field Yates reminds us, the trade of a second-round pick to Atlanta yields a minimal return at a position they've needed help at. Warren Sharp at Sharp Football. The Patriots traded for Mohamed Sanu so the Ravens could draft J.K. Dobbins. So, yeah. Ahead for us now, though, in the more immediate future, breakout candidates and all rookie candidates on the offensive side of the ball. That's ahead on episode 130 of the SCO Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 130 of the SCO Show. And having checked my timeline to make sure that the Patriots have not signed Leonard Fournette in the past 15 minutes or so, I'm moving on to breakout candidates and all rookie candidates on the offensive side of the ball. I'm not going to hit all of these, um, but if you check out uh, touchoutwire.usatoday.com, you can see the entire squads that I have assembled. We'll start with the breakout candidates. These are second or younger type players, not rookies, but players usually on their first, and they might have just signed an extension to their second NFL contract that maybe some have already broken out, as, for example, Laramie Tunsil. Last year might have been a breakout year for him. There are a couple of players like that, but players that are now going to make that leap into the upper echelon at their positions. We start with quarterback, Kyler Murray. I think that's a pretty safe bet for most people. If you're looking at quarterbacks that are entering their second years to take that year two leap, I think Murray is at the top of most lists. DeAndre Hopkins now. Get a chance to throw to him. Christian Kirk. You'll have Kenyon Drake in the backfield who fits that offense perfectly. Drake is a breakout candidate in his own right. So I think Kyler Murray is sort of like the easy play for that year two quarterback leap. Drake is one of the running back candidates. I think Devin Singletary is another. I know there are some people that might be a little scared off. He's had some fumble issues in training camp. They drafted Zach Moss. Maybe you're thinking he's not going to get the attention that you expect him to in that backfield. But I'm still a believer in Devin Singletary. That brings us to the wide receivers. Kenny Galladay, I think, is certainly one. I think he's not a household name right now, but there's an argument to be made that he's one of the best receivers in the league already. If he gets a full, healthy season from Matthew Stafford, I think he's going to put up massive numbers. So Galladay is certainly one of those receivers. Corton Sutton is another one in Denver. Not a household name yet, but when you look at what Denver has put together with Jerry Judy, with K.J. Hamler, with Noah Fant, the tight end, who's a breakout candidate in his own right, Drew Locke entering year two or candidate for perhaps a year two leap of his own, Sutton is going to feast now because you can't bracket him, on, you can't double him, you can't rotate safety coverage to him on every single snap. You're going to get beaten. And so Sutton's in a great position to have success. The other receiver, I think, is in a great position to have a breakout year in 2020 is Darius Slayton from the New York Giants. And the main reason 
it's twofold in a sense. One, the offense. He's a vertical threat. They're installing a vertical offense, an Eric Coriel-type system under Jason Garrett. I that's perfect for Darius Slated. The other, and we've seen this with other quarterbacks and receivers before, they started off on running second-team stuff last year, him and Daniel Jones. And so now Jones has a guy that he's used to throwing to, and that matters. That gives you a bit of confidence as a quarterback. So I think Slayton poised for a prime year. Along the offensive line, Laramie Tunsil, Ryan Ramchek at the tackle spots, they had breakout years last year, technically really sort of propelled themselves to the top of their respective positions, right and left tackle. But I think they become household names this year. And I think by the end of this year, people are talking about, yeah, these are two of the best tackles in the league. At the guard spots, Dalton Reisner is one. I think he's primed for a big year, as is Ali Marpet. And again, similar to the tackles, probably a well-known name at this point in most football circles. Not a household name, but he has a big year, I think. And then at center, I think David Andrews. If it wasn't for Alex Smith, Andrews might be a, a you know, surefire bet, or at least in the mix, for comeback player of the year. And he means so much to this Patriots offensive line. This could be the best interior offensive line in football. A year ago, Brandon Thorne was telling me that about Shaq Mason, Joe Tooney, David Andrews. The only thing that was missing last year was Andrews. Now he's back. It could be the best interior offensive line. And at the flex spot, I picked the flex as well. Miles Sanders uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. They might be shifting to more of a downfield offense, but what he does after the catch is critical to what they do. He was their best yardage after the catch per reception guy last year, 8.6, which was fourth best in the league, provided by Mathis Wright. That's pretty impressive from a rookie running back. So Miles Sanders, I know there'll be some Boston Scott action in that backfield, but I think Miles Sanders poised for a big year. As far as some of the rookies to watch, obviously on the offensive side of the ball, Joe Burrow at quarterback. You could go pretty chalky at wide receiver, right? You could say Henry Ruggs. You could say Jerry Judy. You could say CeeDee Lamb. And while I did include Judy and Lamb, given the fact that they have great talent around them, the other guy I included wasn't Ruggs, but it was his teammate, Brian Edwards from South Carolina who is getting a lot of first-team run with the Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr has spoken highly of him. He's already earned himself a seat inside the Derek Carr circle of trust of such then exists. So I think Byron Edwards, Ryan Edwards, excuse me, poised for a huge year as a rookie. A tight end. Tight end's a tough one to predict, given tight ends take a little bit of time to figure things out. But I'm going to go with Cole Komet almost by default. First tight end off the board. Bears have a massive need at tight end. And so I think he makes a lot of sense there. Along the offensive line, you could go with any of the tackles, but I think the two to watch, Andrew Thomas for the Giants. He's going to slide into that left tackle spot with Nate Solder opting out. And Tristan Wirfs, a right tackle for the Tampa Bay Bucks. He's in an advantageous situation because, as we know, he's playing in front of a quarterback that likes to get the ball out quickly. That's going to make things easier on him. At the guard spot, Cesar Ruiz, fan favorite of many I know who listen to this show. Saints drafted him and immediately moved on from a veteran guard, Larry Warford. I know that Cesar Ruiz is still in the mix as potentially their starting center. 
battle with Eric McCoy, and the loser of that battle probably slides to that right guard spot, vacated when they moved on from Larry Warford. I'm assuming that McCoy wins that battle outright, and as such, Ruiz slides to right guard and does great work there. The other guard spot, Solomon Kinley is getting a lot of buzz out of Dolphins training camp. Dolphins seem to be very excited about his playmaking mentality, his road paver play style. He might win that job, a guard spot opposite Eric Flowers on the Dolphins offensive line. So he's somebody to watch. And at center, Lloyd Cushenberry III from LSU with the Denver Broncos seems to have locked down that battle for the center spot up front for the Broncos. Expected big things from him. At running back, I think these make sense. Clyde Edwards or Larry, look, sort of became the pick 101 or 102 in many fantasy leagues when he was drafted by the Chiefs and with good reason. If you're a defensive coordinator, you've got Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Michael Hardman. You've got to worry about those guys. You've got to worry about Patrick Mahomes. By the time you get to CEH, you're running out of guys to cover with. So CEH is going to get a ton of opportunities and targets in that offense. And then Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. I think he's primed to play a big role for the Colts. Stephen Holder, who covers the Colts for the Athletics said that he expects him to get a lot of targets out of the backfield as well as what he does carrying the football. It's not long until he supplants Marlon Mack, I think, as RB1 in Indianapolis. And then your flex option, I am still all about LaVisca Chenault. So he's going to be my flex pick for an all-rookie team. And yes, Joe Burrow is your quarterback. I think that one goes without saying. So there you have it, some breakout contenders, some all-rookie picks on the offensive side of the football. What's next? Well, Monday is Labor Day, but there will still be a show. My predictions, league-wide for the 2020 season. And then next Wednesday now, now that we're in back into the regular season, this is going to be a Monday-Wednesday type of show. The Miami Dolphins. We're going to talk Dolphins, what to expect from them, preview week one of the 2020 Patriots season. So that is a look ahead. Until then, friends, it's Labor Day weekend. If you're traveling, stay safe. If you're staying home, stay safe. Just stay safe. Wash those hands. And when you do, sin along. Bless those Patriots reigns. Donna Foster.